listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. where we've been studying. I'll invite you to turn with us to chapter number three. Chad left off last Sunday in uh, verse number 12 as he talked about the tongue. And I went back and I listened to all four of those sermons and they, what they all did is they built on the same idea that we started with and that is James is probably the most practical book in all of the New Testament. It's like the Proverbs of the New Testament. You don't really have to do a whole lot of theological climbing in the book of James to understand what God is saying. He hits us between the eyes at every turn. And here's what I will tell you. It's a little frustrating to read the book of James because it's like he takes a, a jab from the right and then he comes back from the left. And I mean, it's, it's, it's almost you can't even get your breath before you've taken a few spiritual slugs to the face and the gut and all of a sudden you find yourself over in the corner just trying to catch your breath. You realize that God is not trying to beat us. That's probably a bad illustration. If I was going to say God's not trying to beat us up and there I went boxing illustration, that's probably not the best. God's not trying to beat us up. You know what he's doing? He says it in chapter number one. I'm using the difficulties in your life to bring about a faith that endures, to bring about a faith that shouts to those around and that looks like Jesus. And I'm using these difficulties and trials that you face if you'll see it that way you'll see my work in your life and every time we turn around in this book it's like we're being shown areas in our life that need help today is no different today we're going to look at a pretty small amount of scripture but can I just show you, because I normally don't do this. I've been out, so I'm like trying to figure out how to ride that bicycle again, because I've been doing that for a month, and, and then I jump in, I'm like, how do, how do I do this again? And I mean, I made it super hard. Look, these are the notes for today. And, and here's, if you're visiting with us, our people just went, oh my goodness. And I'm going to tell you why, because I don't use a lot of notes and I can go for an hour and not even blink an eye. Your your people around you, they're just, they're sinking in. They're getting comfortable because they're thinking, oh my gosh, we're going to be here a while, a month's worth of preaching in one week. I promise you, that's not what's going to happen. Maybe. But here's, here's what we do want to do. We do want to recognize that there's so much in these verses Greg and, and uh, Chad and I, we sat out there in the, in the foyer yesterday and we talked about these few verses from 3.30 to 5. And, and here's the point. There was so much more we could have talked about because this passage, it hits us all. I'm gonna go ahead and tell you, through this whole series, there's never gonna be a week that you can come in and go, you know what, um, this probably doesn't have anything to do with me, so I'm just going to kind of take this, and maybe there'll be a little nugget here and there, but it's probably doesn't. When we go through the book of James, every turn, I mean, it is squaring off on every one of us. So I'm telling you today, if you are here and you pay attention, this scripture is going to hit us all right where we live. It's going to talk about wisdom but not in the way we think about 
wisdom. It's going to be talking about wisdom the way the Hebrews think about wisdom. See, when we think about wisdom, we think about things we know. We think about accumulating knowledge so that we might be able to talk intelligently about a lot of subjects. I heard someone say this week, they said, you know, if you find yourself on the front porch with an old guy in a rocking chair whittling on a piece of wood, you probably want to hear what he has to say. And I don't know who, maybe you're here today that said, maybe I heard it on a podcast or something. You probably ought to pay attention to what he said. Why do we think that? Because we think that old man sitting on the rocking chair has lived a lot more life than we have. He's seen a lot more things than we've had. He's experienced a lot more things than we've experienced. And he can speak into our life. He can speak truth from experience into our life. And we call that wise, the wise old Sage. What we're going to learn in this passage today is that wisdom, however, is not about what you know. Wisdom from the Hebrew understanding has to do with what you do. And you're going, wait a minute, this sounds familiar. Yes, it does. Because pure religion is not just saying be warm and filled. It's not just saying these things. It's the going and the visiting of widows and orphans. It's not just faith that I communicate with my profession. It's faith that gets fleshed out in my works. It's, it's those things that are required of these things that I possess. The same is true with wisdom. See, the Greeks thought about it as the accumulation of knowledge, and so do we. That's not what the Hebrews understood. The Hebrews understood wisdom to be something that we we know and that we put into practice. And specifically, it is what we know about God what he has revealed to us so that we might understand him and we might understand ourselves, And then when we step into that truth, then wisdom has been imparted. So it's just not what you know. But we're going to have to think about wisdom differently so that we'll understand this passage. And this passage is going to speak to us at the self-level of our hearts, where self lives and reigns. You say, what does that mean, Kevin? Self will motivate you and it will motivate me. But self on the throne of our heart as a follower of Jesus Christ will lead us into a wisdom that is going to profit us nothing where a heart and a mind that is devoted to the person of Christ, to the will of his Father, will lead us into doing the things that are connected to the wisdom of God. But let's just jump in to James chapter 3. Verse number 13 is where we're going to begin. We're going to go through the end of the chapter, which is only 13 through 18. We'll hit some of these points as we move. James chapter 3, verse 13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? If I were to ask that question that he is asking, 
I could say, if you are wise today, stand up. In fact, let's do it this way. Let's actually ask the question and let's see who responds. If you are wise today, stand up. Interesting. Interesting. No one is standing up. And you're going, I'm not going to be the one that stands up. But I wonder in your hearts, are you thinking, well, I'm not going to be the one that stands up. But I know I got a leg up on a lot of these characters around here. Because I've hung out with them. I've listened to what they had to say. I listen. I know I'm at least toward the front of the line. I might not be first. Let's do it this way. If you are a card-carrying fool and you know it, I'm not going to ask you to stand up because somebody would go, I'm going to do that, and I don't want you to embarrass yourself. One of the authors that we've been reading behind to help us understand this book says, there are few professing fools. There are few folks that will say, yep, I'm a fool. If I got a decision to make, I'm going to make the wrong one. If I've got to make up my mind, I'm going to make it up on the wrong side. If I've got to decide who to go with, I'm going to go with the wrong one because I'm a fool and I know it. Most folks won't admit it. But if we follow the way of self, we're a fool. And we're a fool to think we can follow the way of self and the way of Christ at the same time. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? It was an honest question that James was asking. It was an honest question and he truly was, I believe, asking the question to people who should have been saying, well, I hope I am. I want to be because wise and understanding in their thinking would have been we understand God's perspective on the life that we're living and we have understanding of how to navigate it and we're walking into that. That would be the, the thing that these readers would have been understanding. Who's living out the relationship that they have with Jesus? And, and hopefully, at least the desire is, well, I want to be wise. I don't know that I am, but I want to be. He says, who is? And he goes, here's how you'll know if you are wise and have understanding. By his, and ladies, don't be upset by that. Just the way of the writing. By his or her good conduct, let them show their works in the meekness of wisdom. Here's what James says. Are you wise today? Do you see yourself as wise? Here's how you'll know. You'll know by the marks of the works that you are doing in the humility that wisdom is producing. What is wisdom? It is the, it is the understanding of how God sees the circumstances and the life that we're living. It's the way God sees what's going on and the understanding of how we're to navigate it on the basis of how God sees it. And when we do that, that wisdom is going to generate humble, meek works. It's going to produce things in our life. Now, let me ask you this. In James's time, who do you think in the Jewish culture, 
who do you think would have been considered the wisest of the wise? I'm gonna, I'm gonna answer that for you. It would have been your Pharisees, your scribes, your Sadducees, your Essenes, your lawyers, all of these religious leaders would have been seen as wise. You know why? Because they knew the most about the scripture, but they did the most living it out. Their whole life was devoted to living in a way that people could see them living out the things of God's teaching. So when it came to in that society, who is the wisest among you? Who is wise and has understanding? Well, all of those folks do because they live it and they look it. Probably in your growing up, if you want to put that into a, a modern day way of thinking, if, if you were sitting there, you, I wouldn't want you saying this about me, but maybe you've been around a church when someone says, who's the wisest? And they would say, well, pastor's the wisest. And he fits that bill too because he's always knowing stuff about the Bible and he's always looking like a pastor and, and talking like a pastor. And he's always saying brother and sister and amen and hallelujah. And he's always doing those. And you know, I've never, I can remember growing up, there, there were pastors that I had that I don't think I saw more than a couple of times out of a suit and tie. And one time I saw one of my pastors out of a suit and tie and believe me, his recreational clothes were about three decades behind and way too tight. So it weirded me out because I had a perception of them in my mind that they were the wisest of the wise and they always live it. But that's not what James says. James says, if you're wise and have understanding, you'll be living it with humility. Who of the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Essenes and the lawyers and all of these religious leaders who walked in humility? Almost none of them. You know why? Because they were pursuing a wisdom that was not from God. They knew the word. They were acting the word. But their lack of humility destroyed the notion that they were walking in wisdom. They were walking according to self. James says, who's wise among you? By his or her good conduct, let him or her show his or her works in the meekness of wisdom. Let's, let me ask you this, church. How many of you and, and I'm, I'm asking this question honestly. How many of you would like to know how God sees your life and your circumstances? Like, you know how you see them. You know how you're thinking about them. You know how you're evaluating them. And some of you are going crazy trying to figure out how this is going to work. How many of you would like to know how God sees it and have the understanding of, okay, God sees it this way, and now I understand it, so now I can properly navigate my life for his glory, even in the circumstances that I'm in. How many of you would like to have that kind of wisdom? Just raise your hand. If you say, I would like to know that. You can know that, but you know what it's going to produce? Humility. You know how to know 
if you're not really walking in that wisdom by whether or not your life is marked by humility. Now we thought about the scribes and the Pharisees and the Essenes and lawyers and yada yada. Now I want you to think about that one who stepped out of glory and stepped into humanity. Born of a nobody from nowhere. In fact, born on the wrong side of the tracks. Born scandalously. Did you hear? She wasn't even married to Joseph when she got pregnant. Stepped into and then lived a life of what? Meekness and humility. Kind of makes me wonder whether or not the many that followed Jesus, yes, they were hearing things that he was doing. They were hearing or hearing about things he was doing. Maybe they even saw some of the amazing things he did. They might have heard him speak on things that their teacher had never spoke about, and he spoke with authority. But I kind of imagine that a lot of the folks that were following Jesus were following him because of his meekness. If you've ever had a domineering boss that knows everything, but he knows nothing, you know that. She knows everything, but she knows nothing. And you've had that kind of boss and they boss you and they drive you. You know how refreshing it is when you get out of that situation to discover, oh man, this new boss I got, well, she is awesome. She doesn't even act like she knows everything. You know, we're a team and yet she takes authority. You know how refreshing that is? You ever been a part of a ministry that was just, you were just getting hammered all, that's probably not the best way of saying it. You're, you were getting beaten on all the time. And you were getting, you were getting lambasted and then you find somebody with a little grace and you're like, wow, how refreshing is it? Don't you know, don't you know that people follow Jesus because he's not yelling at us. <laughs> he's saying some hard stuff, man. There's some of the stuff and he's preaching some of the things that we heard in synagogue, but he's not yelling and he's looking at it and he's, he's coming around us and he's, he's actually interacting with us and he's not acting like we're some kind of sub-level human. Meekness. And who was he? Let's not forget, but God the Son who spoke the universe into existence, who holds everything together. You know why you're not expanding and blowing up into a bazillion different parts right now? Because the one who stepped in to our reality is the second person of the Godhead who's holding it all together. You know how he presented himself with authentic meekness, humility, that proved a life pursuing, walking in the wisdom of God. Verse number 14, here's where it gets us. Because we want the wisdom, we want to know that we're pursuing him, but here's where the litmus test begins to show us which wisdom bucket we're dipping from. Verse number 14, But if you have bitter jealousy in your heart, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Last week, Chad was talking about the tongue and how that the tongue can't, you know, a fountain is not going to spew forth 
fresh water, and I think the ESV translates it salt water. So a fresh fountain, and you're going to get a drink from the fountain, you stick your face down in it, and all of a sudden you bring up salt water, what are you going to do? You're going to spit that out because you're not going to swallow that. That'll make you sick. It's bitter. Same idea when he talks about jealousy here. It's a word referring to a sharp, pungent characteristic. When I think of pungent, I think of sulfur. How many of you have ever turned on the spigot you go, on, you go into somebody's old house and they got a well water and you turn on that spigot and out comes this awful smell. You're like, what in the world died in your well? It's that sulfur water. You're not drinking that. Why? Because it's bitter, it's gross, it's pungent. That's how he's describing this notion of jealousy. If If you are a follower of Jesus, then hopefully you are pursuing the wisdom of God, the understanding that God has of your life, and then how, or the the wisdom, how God sees your life, and then understanding how you're to navigate this. Hopefully that is where you're going. But if you don't have meekness, you know you're not following that way. And if your life is characterized by stinky jealousy, this word jealousy, It's a word that can have both a positive or a negative meaning. The positive meaning would be you can use this word for uh, describing zeal. You have a passion for something. I mean, you're on top of it. You have this zeal. Or that same word can have a negative connotation. It means strong negative feelings toward the success and achievements of others. And he puts that word pungent in front of it that stinky jealousy not only that if you have that jealousy but if you have jealousy and selfish ambition this selfish ambition is not just about putting me first it's the notion of like a party split It's like I've got to have my way and I'm willing to split these folks up in order to have my way. You say, huh, that kind of sounds like a church split. Well, hold on, we're going to talk about that next week. So if this is fun, come back next week. That'll be a riot. And so it's this idea of of that party split. In order for me to have what I want, I'm just going to split off and put you off to the side, start my own thing. It's this, this ambition that we have. It creates the, the, the notion of us and them. We and they. That's this selfish ambition. And he says, where that is in your hearts, don't boast about your wisdom from God. You're false to the truth. Here's, here's the idea. Probably most of us in here are not consumed by jealousy. Probably we're not consumed by our own way. But every one of us in this building are conditioned toward independence. We are conditioned to think for ourselves. It's what we've been taught 
from the time we could understand until today. I always want to make it very clear. What I'm about to say is not a slam on our nation. I love our nation. Our nation provides freedoms that we enjoy and that provide opportunities, the likes of which we are all enjoying right now in this very place. But can I tell you that, that the Constitution of the United States of America is not Scripture. You understand that? The, the American nation is not God's way of doing things. You understand that? The way God does things is called a, a theocracy, where God is ruling and we're obeying him. Anything other than that is just a tool of man that has pros and cons. And I just want to highlight one of the cons right now, is that life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness almost forces everyone in this room to pursue a way of jealousy and selfish ambition. I mean, it just, it's just what comes with a capitalistic society. And I'm not saying we ought to be socialists. I'm saying they're all limited. But this notion of, we were talking about it yesterday, I don't know if it was Greg or if it was Chad that, that, that said, when we start hearing things like, you can be president if you really want to. What does that do? That says, whatever you want to do, you can do it. And your rights and your freedoms allow it. Whatever you want to think, you can think it because that's what the Constitution allows. Whatever you want to post or tweet, unless it's something threatening to a uh, dignitary or high official, you can post it. Why? Because what you think is important and it's your right to think it. Uh, Except that's going in the opposite way of the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God shows us how God thinks about this, how God sees this, and then the understanding that we can get, how do we navigate life with his way of seeing and with his way of understanding so that regardless if we're in a free country or in a communist country or in a country of anarchy, we can follow Christ and we can live in wisdom regardless of the circumstances because we're tapped into him. But he says, you can't be following God. You can't be tapped into the wisdom of God and have jealousy and selfish ambition in your life. And can I tell you something? Every one of us, every one of us came in here today with a large measure of jealousy and selfish ambition in our hearts. You may have ridden in in something that because of jealousy, you're now stuck to a payment booklet that's going to be going a lot longer than you intend. You may have something at the house because of selfish ambition that you're trying to sell because you just thought you had to have it and didn't because it looked good. It was a good deal. And I worked hard and I ought to have it. I have a right and this ought to. Think about this. This comes down to the church. I mean, how many folks are standing on a stage hoping that the people listening to them are liking them for what they're saying. Boy, I sure hope I'm not saying anything that causes them not to like me 
Because what am I going to do? When I get done, I'm going to go and I'm going to pull up the tweeter. I'm going to pull up to Facebook. I'm going to pull up to Instagram. I'm going to be looking for that that says, boy, love our pastor. He nailed it today. That's what, what? Look, we're all susceptible to this. We're conditioned to this. We advertise ourselves all the time. Selfish ambition. Bitter jealousy. It can happen in this body. It's happening in all of us. So the idea is, if, if, if I'm wrestling with this, then I'm following a different path than true wisdom. Here's what he says, verse number 15. This is not, oh, let me back up, because I don't want to leave this, I don't want to leave this back. Let's back up to verse number 14. I was about to leave, I was about to forget this. He says, don't boast and be false to the truth. Being false to the truth means your lack of meekness, your arrogance, your pompousness, your having to have your own way, your, your wanting to have the likes and the loves of those around you and to do whatever it takes. Look, you're lying to yourself. If you think all that you know about God proves your wisdom, because your character and what's on the throne of your heart is proving otherwise. It's false to the truth. Why? Because he's already said that wisdom produces meekness. And selfish ambition and jealousy is about me. And it's not about meekness. So you're lying to yourself. So every one of us in this room ought probably ought to recognize we're not nearly as wise as we think we are. Because self has a lot of chair time on the throne of our heart. And it's seen in the way we make decisions. It's seen in the way we we respond. It's seen in the way we do and where we go and how we spend it. We see it. He says, this is not wisdom. Verse number 15. This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, it is unspiritual, it's demonic. It's, if I can say it, superficial wisdom. We think it's wisdom. Here's what it looks like. It looks like having God in my backpack and carrying him along with me on my life. I hear folks say this a lot, and and just to be honest with you, I I understand what they're saying. I think it's just evidence that we all have missed it. They'll say things like, boy, I just really need more of God in my life. You know what? what? What I need, I just need more of God in my life. No, no, you don't need more of God. You can have all that you can carry of God in your backpack, but if self is leading you, You're not following the wisdom of God. You don't need more of God in your life. What you need and what I need is less of me in my life. I think about John the Baptist. When he was tempted by his followers, they didn't know they were tempting him, but they came to him and they went, hey, John, did you know that Jesus who you baptized, he's on down the river and our crowds are starting to get a little thin. Everybody's going down there to Jesus and, and they're listening to him. We don't have near the crowd. Our offerings are a little slack here lately, John. What are you going to do about that? And John 
seeing it the way God sees it as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You need to follow him, he said to Andrew. John says, you know what I'm going to do about it, boys? I'm going to walk in it because he must increase. I must what, class? Decrease. John said, you know what? They're They're following him. They're leaving me. That's exactly what they're supposed to do. That's exactly... When you come to me and you say, Pastor Kevin, I believe God wants us to move to such and such in order for us to minister to this or that or the other. You know what my first thought ought not better be? Oh, man, you guys are great givers. I don't hate to lose y'all. Really? Have you prayed about that? Are you sure? Couldn't you do that here? My first thought ought to be, well, that's the way it's supposed to be. Because if we are, as a church, equipping you for the works of the ministry, y'all realize the works of the ministry is not my responsibility. It's y'all's responsibility. My responsibility is to get y'all ready to do the works of the ministry so that you can go. It really kind of makes it sound like we ought to almost always be wondering where our folks are going to be going because that's what God wants them to do. And John says, you know what? (laughs) This is working out just like it's supposed to because he's got to increase, I got to decrease. But when I'm increasing in my life, when I'm the one leading my life, when I'm the one deciding, when I'm the one driving, here's the wisdom I'm following. I'm following earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom. Wait a minute. Don't be so ugly. I'm not following after that. Yeah, listen, earthly. It's worldly. It's me first. It's grounded in the philosophy of this world. Let's just talk about this. Real talk. We got to have somewhere to live, don't we? You know, and, and you know what? It's a, it's a much smarter thing to buy a home than it is to rent one because renting's dumb right just ask anybody and we need to you know if we're gonna buy we need to find a good neighborhood to put it in we're going and, and you know what we've done we've said well we're praying about this thing and really we're mapping this so this is what we're going to look i'm talking to me i bought a house when we were renting one in a in a good it was a good deal why wouldn't we do it But how much of our choices and our plans and our this and our that is dependent upon what I want, what I think, what conventional wisdom says. And you know what James tells us? It don't matter how much of God we have in our backpack. If we're following after what we think is best, it is at best earthly wisdom. Not only is it earthly, it's unspiritual. What does that mean? That means it's disconnected from the supernatural influence of the Holy Spirit. If you're a follower of Jesus, then you have resident within you the Holy Spirit who is there to guide you into all wisdom. He is there to lead you into God's plan for your life. He's there to empower you into what God has called you to do. But when we drive our own car, it don't matter if we've got God and half of the angels in the back seat. If we're driving, it is at best disconnected from the Spirit. We're in, in essence saying, God, the Holy Spirit, if you would just bless this decision that I'm about to make because it makes sense to everybody else, including me, and I'm sure you're happy with it because it's the wise thing to do. It's at best unspiritual. Earthly, unspiritual, and then, ooh, this one stings, demonic. 
Now I want you to go with me in your Bible back to Genesis chapter number three. Genesis chapter number three, you got Adam, you got Eve, they're in the garden, they're, they're tickled with what God has provided. I mean, it was awesome, it was a great deal. And then the enemy comes in, Satan, the serpent comes in and he says, so tell me about what God's told you about the food situation here. Is he told you, what is he saying? And they said, well, he told us we could eat from anything except for that tree and that tree, we're not supposed to touch it, we're not supposed to eat it. First of all, God didn't tell him not to touch it, but he did tell him not to eat it. Well, why did God tell you not to eat that? Because he said, if we eat of it, we'll die. Oh, I can't believe he told y'all that too. God's not going to kill you for that. In fact, God's trying to keep you from that because that will make you like him. And the Bible says that when the woman saw that the fruit was good to eat and one to make her wise, she took it and ate it, and bit into the lie. When we follow a wisdom that is not clearly God-driven, God-first, him increasing, me decreasing, it doesn't matter the arena, our relationships, our work, our school, our plans, no matter what it is, if we're not listening to him first, you know who we're listening to? The deceiver. And here's what he's not going to do, Christian. He's not going to try to talk you out of God's family. The enemy's not going to come along and say, hey, here's what I want for you to do, Steve. I want you to abandon Christ. And I want you to jump out of the family, Steve. Just leave it all behind. He's not going to do that. He's not going to do that to me either. But what he's going to do is he's going to come along. He's going to go, Kevin, that's a pretty good idea. You ought, to, you ought to run with that. Did you hear that? You ought to run with that. That sounds like a good idea. Proverbs says there's a way that seems right unto man. Seems like a good deal. I asked 12 people. All 12 of them told me that was a good deal. I ought to do that. But if I'm not listening to God first, it is a trail led by the old Pied Piper himself leading us down a way of deception. Here's the thing. We're all wrestling with that. Not one of us is going to be able to get up and walk out and go, hmm, that was, that was pretty interesting today. Maybe next week there'll be something for me to apply. <laughs> we live here. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, verse number 16, there will be disorder and every vile practice. You, you remember way back when, uh, chapter number one, he says, Don't think that you're being tempted by God. You're not tempted by God to sin. You're tempted when you are drawn by your own passions, when you're pulled the way you think. And then when those passions have conceived, it gives birth to sin. And then when sin is full grown, you know what it brings forth? Death. So he's saying again, he's saying it again. Look, this earthly wisdom, this superficial wisdom This jealousy and selfish ambition that's proving that you're following the way of the wisdom of the world, it's not going to lead to anything but disorder. Same word when he goes back and says, if you ask, ask in faith. If you doubt, then you're going to be a double-minded person tossed to and fro, unstable in all your ways. When we follow earthly wisdom, we can count on it. It's not going to lead to any lasting good. When we follow the wisdom that is from above, 
Nobody else around us might understand it. But we're always following the way God sees it and the way he's called us to navigate it. We got to be careful. Earthly wisdom will lead to disorder and every vile, evil practice. Some of the most quote-unquote spiritual people in the world are living lives that are full of anger, bitterness, resentment, lawsuits, divorce, racial, ethnic, social, and economic division, absence of love, absence of intimacy, absence of trust, absence of fellowship, and absence of harmony. You know why? Because we're not listening to God, we're listening to self. We're following the way of me. And that disorder has just spiraled into this frustration of things in my life. And I'm just going, why is my life such a mess? Here's why. Because we've increased and he's decreased. And we're playing right into the normalcy of the arena that we live in. Want more God? God says, I want less of you. Verse 17, but the wisdom from above. You want to know how to tap into the wisdom from above? The wisdom that will lead you into the path. Uh, difficult? Sure. Make no sense? Probably will make no sense to anybody around you. Will it lead to riches and wealth and bountiful? Probably not. No, that's, that's gonna, a lot of that's going to be found in the way of earthly wisdom. Wisdom from above is first pure. If, if the wisdom that is from below, the earthly, unspiritual, and uh, demonic wisdom, if that is based, if that's motivated by self, which is seen in jealousy and selfish ambition and arrogance, if it's motivated in self in the heart, then the wisdom from above is also motivated by something. And he says it's first pure. This wisdom from above is uncontaminated by the world. It's uncontaminated by the flesh. It's uncontaminated by the devil. It is purely and solely focused on the person of Jesus. Do you think about Jesus' life for a second? Yes, he was meek, but did many of his decisions make sense to anybody around him? Not often. I mean, the places that, that he, quote unquote, should have been going, that's not where he went. The places that were, no one was going to, that's typically where you found Jesus. Why are you going here? Nobody goes here. Yet Jesus does. You know why? Because God was sending him there. Well, what are you not? What are you doing? You're Messiah? Yes, I'm Messiah. Well, then you need to elevate yourself as king. No, I don't. Why? Because I'm here to die for the sin of the world. Let it make any sense. Of course it doesn't. And it led to a life of difficulty and rejection. It left, led to a life of rebuke. It led to a life of, uh, 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 of suffering. But ultimately, what did it end up with? Glory. I mean, when he stepped out of that grave victorious and ascended up into glory, he was demonstrating the, the, the completed uh, nature of what God intended to do through him. But it went through a path that nobody understood until it was over. He says, 
Wisdom from above is first pure. It is solely focused on him. And when it is, it produces some things. This, this is what the wisdom, these are the, the humble works that wisdom produces. First, it's peaceable. It's peace-loving. It's peace-practicing. It's peace-yielding. I'm not talking about you going out, putting on one of the hippie deals. and all. I'm not talking about, but it is this idea of, you know folks that you get around that are just conflict-laden. I mean, there's always something wrong when you're around because there's always some conflict that they're engaged in. And then you're around those folks that just generate peace. When we're following the way of God, it might not make sense to what we're doing. It might not make sense to nobody. It might not even, it might not even compute in the realm of earthly wisdom, but we are walking in peace and we generate that peace to others. It's first peaceable. It's gentle. It's considerate to others. Have you known anybody who's jealous and self-driven that's truly considerate? No, you don't. You know why? Because they're kicking you and climbing over you to promote themselves. But when we're following the way of God, the wisdom from above, it's going to generate a considerateness, a gentleness, It's going to be peaceable, gentle, open to reason. It's teachable. It's compliant. It's willing to yield to reasonable requests. It's not stubborn. Some of you got a jab from your wife. Boom, not stubborn. I would have gotten a jab from my wife. I can be just a smidge stubborn. But I don't have to be when I'm walking after the wisdom of God. I don't have to be stubborn. I don't have to have my way. You know why? Because I'm walking his way. Like, yeah, can, can, can I? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, hey, I don't care. It doesn't bother me. Why? Because I'm walking the way of God. Well, that doesn't make any sense. I know it doesn't make any sense to me either. But why, why do I worry? Why do I care that I have my way? I'm following his way. It's full of mercy. It's actively sympathetic to the needy. It's tolerant. It's long-suffering. When I'm walking in the way of wisdom, wisdom from above, it's full of good fruits, always connected with good works. It's always looking for an opportunity to bless, to help, to be an encouragement. It's impartial. It's unwavering. It's single-minded. It's it's not changing in its devotion to God. And it's sincere. It's without hypocrisy. It's true to appearances. It's authentic and it's real. You know what this just describes? The character of Jesus Christ. When we're walking in the wisdom of God, when we're seeing life the way God sees it and we're navigating it with the understanding that we have of him, then we are going to be marked by humility and purity in our devotion to him. And then like Jesus, we're going to be peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, full of good fruits, impartial and sincere. I'll refer you back to Galatians 5. It's almost like the fruit of the Spirit being pushed out when we're following the wisdom of God. And what does it take? It takes less of me, more of him. And then verse number 18 says what we can expect 
when we follow the wisdom of God that might not make any sense now. We might not recognize any of the benefits of it in this life. Verse number 18 says, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The the benefits of our life walking with God is that as we are walking with him, then our life is sowing seeds of righteousness where we go. Why? Because we're being led by him. And, and, and the things that he's producing in our life is having an effect on those around us. And it says, it's sowing seeds of righteousness that are going to come out. You know why? Because it's not me that's sowing it. It's him that's sowing it in a submitted life to his wisdom. And then all around us starts coming up acts of righteousness in others and and things of his glory that's coming up around us. And we're we're not trying to make it happen. It's just happening because of his work in us. Makes me wonder why so many churches aren't seeing real spiritual development Is it because they're trying to manufacture it more than just letting God produce it through them? And I'm asking that first of me. The life of wisdom produces a meekness. It produces the character of Jesus. And it just produces fruit of righteousness everywhere we go. Not because we're leading Cause he's leading. So who wants to be wise? Who wants to have understanding? And most of you, me, well, you know what that's going to take? It's going to take a simple statement. You ready? And it's a statement that I don't know that you or I are going to be able to do in a single like five-minute wrap-up. But this is a journey that I want to point you toward because selfishness and jealousy and self-driven motivation is so deep-rooted in us that this is going to be major surgery. And here's what it is. We've got to set self aside. We've got to set self aside and say, how do you do that? How do you eat an elephant, they ask. One bite at a time. But you know what? You're not going to eat that elephant if you don't take the first bite. So what, what we're coming to together is the realization of okay God's just barbecued up some elephant for us to eat so what are we going to do we're going to eat that bad boy or we're going to walk in earthly wisdom that is unspiritual and demonic and will lead to no good whatsoever so I think barbecue elephant sounds pretty good Set self aside. Set self aside. Set self aside. Set self aside. What are we going to do right now? We're going to go, God, I admit that I am consumed with myself. That's something we can all admit today. 
Everybody sitting in this room can admit we are consumed with ourselves. Let's just confess it because you know what it is, don't you? You know what it is? It's sin. And if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. So let's just decide today we're just going to say, God, I am consumed with me. And God, I'm consumed by me. And I think what I think is pretty good. But I need less of me, more of you. And I think we can ask God, show me where self shows up most in our life. I know where it shows up most in me. Chances are great you know where it shows up most in you. So we can start by just admitting we've got a problem. We're not nearly as wise as we thought we were. God, I need you to show me where it shows up most. And then you know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to set self aside. Not bring God to you. Set yourself aside and follow him. We don't want to do that. It's reckless, we think. It's saying, what will that look, Kevin, if, if we start setting ourselves aside? What in the world will that look like? Well, at least it's going to look like humility, purity, peaceableness, gentleness, being full of mercy, being full of good fruits. It's going to look like impartiality and sincerity. That's a great place to start. And then probably it's going to look like different kinds of decisions that don't have what do I want attached to the front end. What am I trying to accomplish as its ultimate goal? Where are we going to be in 10 years as its driving question? We've got to submit our life to the surgeon. And today's just that opportunity that we can step into his office and admit the problem we've got. The good news is that next week and the week after that and the week after, as long as we're in James, it's going to be hitting on those same topics. So guess what we're going to have for lunch for the next few weeks? Barbecued elephant. Bring your fork, bring your spoon. But don't miss out on the bite that God is leading you to take today. Because he's leading me. And let me tell you, it's a big old bite. Less of me, more of him. Until it's none of me and all of him. Don't that sound like a great place to be? That's the way that Jesus led. That's the way that we're to follow. Let's pray. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Nobody's looking around. We always have prayer partners that are, that are here. They're always available. They're standing up here off to the side. And uh, if God's spoken to your heart about something that we've talked about today, um, then they want to be able to pray with you about that. But if you're, if you're burdened with something, 
I'm going to pray in just a second. And while I'm praying, if you're feeling the burden and you just would like to know that somebody cares enough about you to pray with you, um, our prayer partners are always available. You can, you can jet across. No, nobody's going to be looking. Nobody's going to call you out. They'll take you somewhere outside private. They can just pray with you and just love on you a minute. We want to be that for you. But more than anything, what's God said to you from his word today? Let's, let's just do that, okay? Let's do that. Start that meal. Setting self aside. Pursuing the wisdom from above. Father, we thank you for the day. Thank you for your love. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to just sit under your wisdom today. Your word says what it says and it means what it means. Father, anything that that I've said that distracted from what you say, God, cause your people to forget that, to not be hindered by that, but to hear clearly from you and to know certainly what you've called them to, how they are to respond. We all need to take a bite. We know it. I pray that you'll help us to do that very thing today. Now, we want to be people who are wise and understanding who demonstrate it, give evidence to it by the, by the works of humility and meekness. We want to be people who reflect the character of Jesus and the craziness of this world, making no sense to anybody but you. God, I pray that you'll help us to be that people for your glory. We love you and we thank you. First in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody say it. Amen.